Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning, everyone. Grab a seat. Man, um, it's been a while since I've been up here, and I was saying in the first service, it's funny because this is now the second service, but it still seems new. Uh, I have to get back into the rhythm of doing this. But... I want you to know I'm here this morning and I stand here disappointed. Um, I went out yesterday and I spent the whole day outside. And it used to be that when I spent the whole day outside in the summer, that the next day I was blonder (laughs) and younger. And I got up this morning and I'm still as gray as I ever was. So I'm not happy about that. So I'm disappointed. I'm not disappointed to be here, but I am disappointed about that. Um, Like Ryan said, we are in the middle of a series, uh, which we're not doing today. Um, We started the Real Planned Parenthood, and we're going to get back to that next week. But we're going to take a break this morning so that all those other people that just for whatever reason couldn't be here today don't miss out on the service, the series. And so Long and the short of it is, is like Ryan said, you are our favorites. We have taken your names and um, put you at the top of our list. And while it might seem like that we're kind of just sort of doing a stopgap measure here this morning, don't want you to think that at all. As a matter of fact, I think we've got something really special for you today. Um, coming out of the Old Testament, we're going to talk about First, Cha- First Samuel chapter 30. And... Um, This is maybe even what I would call a hidden gem. It's probably not one of the passages that you're going to go to and hear a lot. You know, that when you think of your favorite passages, maybe 1 Samuel 30 doesn't come right to mind. But I hope by the time we're done this morning that it will come more readily to your mind and that it will be more significant to you if it isn't already. Um, I first came across this, well, I didn't first come across it. I guess I'd come across it reading my Bible, but... Years before, or years ago, some years ago, uh, Phil Webb, who was here just a few weeks ago speaking to us, um, had done, led a devotional on this at an event I was at with Fellowship Prairies. And, and so, um, we, and we've talked about it since then. We bring it up with each other every once in a while. And, and uh, uh, it's gone on to become one of my favorite passages. And I was just reading through uh, this area again a, a few weeks ago in my devotional time. And I thought, ah, you know, um, that's such a great passage. And then I went to plan this message for today, and I was going to actually speak on being lukewarm, and, and then it just wasn't right. So I came back to this, and I thought God was calling me back to this passage uh, to talk about that. So we're going to dive in and take a look at that this morning, and, and uh, I hope that it will be significant to you, it, it, at least as significant as it has been to me. That would be, that'd be awesome. But before we get there, let's pray, and then we'll start and dive in. Father, this morning, again, we thank you, God, that you're not on holidays, uh, that you are here, 
that you are with us and that you have things to accomplish with us today. That um, as we start this day, as we come even into now these next few minutes, that you would long to draw alongside of us, to come beside us and to teach us, to grow us, to help us, to build into our worlds so that we would be able to, to navigate life better, more in keeping with who you are, better equipped to be able to navigate life as we come to know it. And so to that end, God, I thank you, and I would ask that you would help us to do that, that you would help us to put aside now whatever's preoccupying our minds, the concerns that we have, the plans that we're thinking about that are coming up later, the fears that are maybe in the background, whatever they might be, um, help us to just set them apart, set them aside, and, and focus on you this morning so that we could draw near to you and that you would draw near to us. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So before we dive in and actually read this passage, I want to just set up the background a little bit. You'll recall through the book of First Samuel that we're in the chapters sort of preceding this, we see kind of the development of Israel as a nation. They want a king, and Saul becomes king, and, and then God removes his blessing from Saul, and Saul starts to deviate off of the track, and, and so then God comes along and says, I'm going to replace you. I'm going to bring a new king, and that's going to be David. And David doesn't just automatically go to the throne, though. It actually, there's a process involved. And so as we read the chapters here, just prior to this chapter 30, we see David running from Saul, who's actually now trying to kill him because he sees him as the, the new up-and-comer and the one that's going to supplant him and so on and so forth. And, and he's trying to take him out. And so David's been running all through the, the, the nation, the land, hiding in caves, trying to stay alive. And Eventually, it gets to the point, like, I mean, Saul just won't give up. He keeps everywhere around the country. He's chasing him and, and just pursuing him. And so David finally says to God, what am I supposed to do? And so he gets directed to go down into to the Philistine territory, which is crazy because the Philistines are enemies of the nation of Israel. So, like, I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense to leave who's chasing you to try and take your life only to go to another group that would gladly take your life as well, you know, take you out. But nevertheless, that's the plan. So off David goes to the city of Gath. And he arrives there, and somehow in having arrived and in the process of being there with him and his men, David is able to ingratiate himself with the son of the king of Gath, Achish. Achish. However they say that. A-C-H-I-S. H. Anyhow. So he comes to know this guy. And... They start to get along. And so David says to him, hey, it's not right that I would live here in the royal city. How about you give me some town to go and live in? And I'll just stay there out of your way. And so H.S. says, sure, Ziklag. You go to Ziklag, little country town. You guys, all, take all your men, your families, and you can set up there and, and live there. So away they go. David's been living there then for well over a year. And all of a sudden, the... the Philistines decide they're going back after the Israelites. They're going to go to war with them. And so Achish calls David and says, Hey, you come with me. We're, going to, we're going to war. You're coming with me. Because David's been telling them over the years, that, that, or over the months and so on and so forth, that he's been out 
raiding and causing all kinds of issues for the, the Israelites and, and so on and so forth, plundering them. But it's actually been the Amalekites that he's been plundering or the Kenites and all this kind of stuff. And, and, but anyways, Achis thinks he's on board and on side and so on and so forth. So he says, come on, come with me, let's go. So David and his men join the horde and they're off there. They go to, to take on the Israelites and, and the commanders of the army aren't really comfortable with what's going on. They're, they're, they're really not happy about this at all because they see the Israelites ahead of them. They see some of them behind them. Now with David and his men, and he, so the commanders go to Achish and they say, what happens if these guys get in here and, and turn on us and start and fight with their countrymen? This isn't a good idea. Send these guys back. We don't want them with us. So eventually, that's what happens. The, the, the commanders win and they send, H, or send David and his men back to Ziklag. And so David and his men are heading back and that's where we pick it up at chapter 30. And so if you've got your Bibles or if you've got your phones or, or if you want to follow on the screen, it'll be there. But let's start read, reading at 1 Samuel chapter 30 verse 1. You know, I'm going to commit a cardinal sin. I'm going to read almost the full chapter. It's not like just a few little verses. So settle in. Get ready. Here we go. 24 verses. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in his spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the 600 men with him came to the Besser Valley, where, the, where, some had, where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, but David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, Who do you belong to? Where do you come from? He said, I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Kerithites, some territory belonging to Judah, and the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, Swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down to them. 
He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling, because of the great amount of plunder that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder, or anything else that they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, This is David's plunder. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at the Besser Valley. They came out to meet David and the men with him. As David and his men approached, he asked them how they were. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, Because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. David replied, No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered into our hand the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who, is, who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. There are three things this morning. There's, a, there's a, just a chocker block full of things in this passage. But there's three things this morning that I want to look at. Specifically, there are three things that we can learn from David, which I believe that we will do well to adopt and apply to our lives. If we take these things and appropriate them, it will make a huge difference in how we pursue life. As we pick it up here in chapter 30, we find David having encountered a significant event in his world. As a matter of fact, it's, it's hard to imagine really coming across a more significant, devastating event. While they were out and about, doing their thing, the Amalekites had seized the opportunity, swooped in, and raided their town. And of course, they kidnapped all the women and children, and then they burned the joint down. And obviously, David's men are devastated. We would be too. They've, they've arrived back. Their loved ones are gone. They have no idea where they are, whether they're alive or not. On top of that, all of their assets and their savings have disappeared. The house is burned down. Everything that they had worked for, everything that they had built up, saved, had disappeared, gone, eliminated. There was nothing left. And in David's case, it was even worse. It's crazy. He had gone through the exact same thing. He had suffered the exact same losses. His family was gone. 
His house was burned down. All of everything that he'd accumulated had been trundled off. But on top of it, moreover, now his men are looking at him and thinking, we better stone this guy. I think that's, we better get rid of this dude. So not only is he dealing with all of that loss, all of that pain, but now he's got on top of it the prospect of losing his own life. You know, this isn't really a part of the message today, but if you're a leader somewhere, if you're in leadership somewhere, pay particular attention. Take special note of how David handles this situation. Because as a leader, in whatever capacity that you lead, there's a target on you today. When you encounter challenges in the organization or whatever it is that you're leading, the group, what have you, and something goes off the rails, your people are going to look at you and blame you. It's just how it works. It comes with the territory. They're going to think it's your fault. Or at the very least, that it's your problem. Your problem to fix. And so, we need to pay close attention to how David handles this here. Because we can learn a lot. And we find the first thing that he does at the end of verse 6. So number one this morning, we see that David found strength in the Lord his God. David found strength in the Lord his God. His family was gone. His home was destroyed. And now his men wanted to kill him. But David stopped and found strength in the Lord his God. This morning, where do you go to find your strength? When you encounter something in your world, an event that devastates you, where do you turn for strength? Is God our first stop? Or is He our last resort? You know, so often I think that as we encounter these challenges in our world, we've been programmed, we've been molded to attempt to handle them on our own. We think that that ball is now in our court and we just have to deal with it. And so as we start to look at it, and as we talk to ourselves about what we're facing, do you, do you hear your conversations? Do they sound something like this where I look around and I go, how am I ever going to be able to manage this? Or as I look out and I see the, the challenge ahead of me and I'm talking to myself. Does it sound to you like me where I'm asking, why, why, why me? Why is it that I have to deal with all this junk? You 
Do you hear yourself saying, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? And we take on ourselves the load, the weight of the situation, the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Or maybe you come at it a little bit differently. Maybe you look around and you say, who can I call? What, what can I find? Where's that person that would be able to help me in this circumstance? And we look for Anthony Robbins or Leo Buscelli or somebody or other. We get out their books and we quickly flip through looking for the parts that we've underlined and highlighted, hoping that somehow that that's going to bolster us and buoy us up for whatever lies ahead. Or maybe if you don't just automatically look to yourself, maybe if you don't default to looking for someone else, maybe you look to something to steal you in the challenge that you have to navigate. Some sort of innate some substance or means by which you can galvanize yourself to try and dive in and get through, survive. And I think whatever those three options that we choose, pretty soon we're going to find our tanks empty. Sooner than later. Maybe you've been doing all right. Maybe so far you've been able to navigate the challenges in your world. You've come through them okay. You guys, you guys down in the front down here. Man, I'm old, but I'm not so old as to not be able to remember when I was your age. And I figured I had it figured out. That I was all I needed. I had enough brains. I had enough capacity. I had enough wherewithal to make it through this stuff, throw it at me. I can navigate this on my own. I, I can surf. I'll be all right. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Trust me. Sooner than later, all of us are going to come up against something that is bigger than we are. A bigger challenge than our tank. And at that point, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? David found that the true source of strength for him, the strength that had enough quantity and capacity to handle him in the circumstances that he was facing in the Lord his God. And I would submit to you this morning that we should as well. We need to go to the Lord our God for strength. Now, there are three things that I want to just point out quickly in this regard this morning. First of all, we need to understand that this approach is scalable, which is to say that there is not a challenge or a situation that we're going to find in life that is bigger than our God. 
So wherever you're at, whatever the challenge that you're facing, maybe it's a small one. Maybe it's a medium-sized one. Maybe it's a big one today. Learn to go to God for strength. And as the challenges grow, as they get bigger, He'll grow with them. And His strength will be sufficient to help you navigate that. Going to God is scalable. It will not leave us lacking one day where we come up against that next mountain that we're trying to get over, that next hurdle that we're trying to cross, and we will never find Him insufficient to help us get through. Secondly, this isn't just for the negative situations and circumstances in our lives. Don't don't just take God the difficult stuff. Take Him the positive challenges and opportunities that we're facing as well. You know, so oftentimes, we come in contact with things that are hard, but that are good. And it's more natural, I suppose, if we were to compare, to go to God with the things that are difficult, right? Or the things that we don't quite know how to navigate. The challenges that come up sort of out of the blue that are, that are just plain and simple difficult. But the things that are good, that are positive, well, we're, we're sort of really reluctant to go to God with those because somehow I think that we have this penchant to, to try and think that we have to be able to navigate those on our own. Like, I mean, for heaven's sakes, this is a good problem. You know, when people are coming to us and they're saying, oh man, good for you, this is awesome, what's going on in your world? And we're sitting there and we're just looking at it going, whoa, I don't know what to do. And for me, that was like kids. When they arrived, like, what on earth am I going to do with this? And I'm not wanting to sit down and say, well, like, this is going to be ay, 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 horrendous. No, it's an awesome thing. But I needed help. I needed strength. I needed sleep. <laughs> so don't just... Think about it in terms of the difficult things. There are things in your world that are good and they're opportunities and they're positive and you still might need help. Go to God. He can help you in those things as well. He'll give you the strength you need. Thirdly, David went to God for strength first. Not for a solution. He went to him first for strength, not a solution. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I don't like that. That does not sound like a good plan at all. We should go to God for the solution. Because it's a lot like patience. I have learned not to pray for patience. I kept getting more kids. Right? Like, I mean, we pray for patience, and there's only one way, really, that God's going to give us patience. That's going to give us, by giving us some things that are pretty hard to navigate, where we need to exercise patience. So I don't want to pray for strength. I don't want to go to God and say, oh, please, Lord, make me stronger. Because then it would seem to me that we're asking for weight to bear. So instead, 
We really often, more often than not, I think we go to God and just ask for a solution. Just something that's going to solve and resolve the issue that I'm facing. Oh, Lord, please, please, please. Could, could, could you just send me the numbers to the lottery? That would solve my problem. That would fix it. Oh, please, Lord, please, 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 would you deal with my wife? Would you convict her and convince her of the error of her ways? Would you, would you help her to see how she needs to change so that this could be removed from me? And every once in a while, it might be the same for the guys too, although not nearly as often. Right? But isn't that right? Isn't that true? We go to God for the solution. We don't want the strength. We just want a solution. We want a quick fix. Something that's going to resolve the problem. We need to understand this morning that not all of our problems are going to be solved. Not all of our challenges are going to be remedied. And definitely not always the way that we want them to be. And almost never, at least as it seemed to me, that it's accomplished on the timeline that I would like. Now. No. It's going to take a little longer, Doug. We're not going to quite do it the way that you would like. It's going to be a little different. So I need to go to God for strength. Now, quickly, what does it look like to find strength in the Lord? Well, I think that there's lots of different ways. And for you, it might look a little bit different than for me. But for me, I find strength in the Lord when I go back and I remind myself about my God about who He is, His capacity, what He can do. I like going to verses like Matthew 28, verse 20, where it says, Jesus speaking to us, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I find strength when I recognize that my God is going with me, that He's not leaving me, that He's not just sending me out, on my own, by my lonesome, saying, good luck with that. I find strength when I know that he's riding alongside and that he's with me in whatever it is that I'm facing, whatever it is that I have to navigate, that he's alongside, never leaving me or forsaking me. I take comfort I gain strength when I read 1 Peter 5, verse 7, where Peter instructs us to cast all our anxiety on God because He cares for you. I gain strength when I recognize that my God cares about me. That He empathizes with me. That He understands the circumstances that I'm in and He cares about that. That He's not just removed and aloof. 
that he's not sitting back impassively watching it all happen, uncaring, uninterested. I gain strength when I know that he cares. I gain strength when I read verses like Psalm 46, verse 1. That's why it's so important. Dive into your Bibles. Get your grip reading plans. Be reading regularly so that as you encounter these circumstances, that thou, these verses start to come to mind. And you can go back to them and remind yourself about who God is and what He will do. So I gain strength when I look at Psalm 46, verse 1. It says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And I know then that as, as I encounter the trouble in my life, the difficulties that I'm facing, that God is there to give me strength. That He will be my help in trouble. When I have trouble, I have somewhere to go. But one of the things that has stuck with me over the years, one of the things that I have drawn on so much, also comes from David, interestingly enough. Also in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verse 36. And this is the story of David and Goliath as David is presenting the idea that he's going to go down and take care of this guy. Goliath has been intimidating the armies of, the, of Israel. They're there at their wits and they don't know what to do with this guy. He comes out every morning, every afternoon. He's taunting them saying, hey, come on, let's get it on. Send down your best guy. Never, nobody wants to go and face him. And David comes along and says, I'll take this dude on. I'll, send me, I'll go. And so then they're saying, well, who are you? And David presents himself a little bit here. He says in verse 36, 1 Samuel 17, verse 36, your servant, David, has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Listen to this now. Goliath is going to be like the bear and the lion that I killed. Why? Because... Because he has defied the armies of the living God. I find strength when I remember that the God that I serve is the living God. The living God. Singular. There is none other. Unparalleled. Unequaled. Not innate. But alive. The God that I pray to the God that I plead with, the God that I bring and, and, and offer my concerns, my questions, is alive. He's not some piece of wood. He's not some piece of metal. He's the real deal. He's alive with capacity and power. That's the God that I serve. And as I look at challenges in my life, I draw strength from the fact that I serve the living God. Moving on. Number two. The second thing that David did, quickly. David inquired of the Lord. In verse 7, right behind verse 6. Where he found his strength. It says he found his strength in the Lord his God. Now he 
David inquires of the Lord in verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord. Now we look at this and we say, well, that makes sense, doesn't it? It would make sense. We should, we should inquire of the Lord. That would seem like the smart thing to do, the Christian thing to do, the Sunday school thing to do. We should inquire of the Lord. But why is it that we so rarely do it? And I think that this is, again, because our sinful nature, in, in that, we are programmed to do things ourselves, to look to ourselves as sufficient and so as we come to the challenges in our life, the good or the bad ones, we look at them and we size them up and we decide what the story is. Well, this is clear. I know what the answer is. The solution is to this, que- this problem, this question, this issue. I know how to handle this. This is what we're going to do. And we proceed to go off and do it. Or if we go come to something that we don't understand, if we run into something that we're not quite sure about, well, then we put on our thinking caps and we figure it out. God gave me a brain. He wants me to use it. I will be happy to try and figure that out. I will come up with a solution. And so we do. Might not be a good plan, but it is our plan and we are proceeding with it. Thank you very much. Sometimes I think that we are so enamored of our own wits and abilities that we think we already have the mind of God. And we forget to go to and inquire of the mind of God. But look again at what David inquires about. The next part of that verse says, he goes to God, says, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake it? Can I catch up to them? Now, remember, in David's situation, the Amalekites have just taken off with the women, the children, and all the furniture. It's gone. At that point, how many of us are stopping to ask God if we should be pursuing them? And and remember, this is David. This is David, who's out there raiding and plundering the villages and stuff in the Amalekite territory and and the Kenites and all sorts of... He's no stranger to this game. He knows the strategy. He's good with a sword. He's comfortable in this territory. It's like you encountering an issue that plays right into your wheelhouse. And at that point, we don't stop to ask those questions, do we? Unless you're a friend. Like, I mean, if... If Fran came into this situation, she looked at it and she said, oh, look at this, look at Doug's been taken, the house is gone, so on and so forth. She'd probably stop and she'd say, oh, Lord, do I really have to go after him? <laughs> but for the rest of us, right, there would be no asking. We would be on it. We would be ready to ride. Off we go and away we go. Even in the obvious... David trained himself to ask of God, to inquire of God, and we would do wise to heed his example. Number three, as we close, David was generous. And this is a little bit of a shift from where we've been going. David found strength in the Lord. 
David inquired of the Lord. But then David was generous. Verse 22. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, Because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. That's pretty darn good of us. (laughs) David replied, No, my brothers. No, my brothers. You must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who has stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. And if you keep going into the rest of the chapter, the end of the chapter, we find that David even gave then gifts back to some of those in the nation of Israel, back in Judah. David recognized where his success came from. And secondly, he recognized that it wasn't just for him. Church family, the more that I read my Bible, the older that I get, I believe more and more every day that the resources that God has entrusted to us are not for us alone. We are to use them for the benefit of others. God has made us agents of His love and redemption in our world. And the resources that He entrusts to us are to be leveraged to accomplish that end. So that we would be better able to be ambassadors of God's love. So that we would be better able to be emissaries of His redemption to those around us. So that those that don't know yet that they can find strength to face their lives, the issues in their world from the Lord, their God. And for those that don't understand yet that they're not alone. That they have a God out there that is for them, like we've been singing this morning, and that would love to speak into their world and give them direction as to how to go about life so that they would be able to have success. So that those people would be able to come to know Jesus Christ. That's what our resources are for. And we need to employ them generously to that same end. Let's pray.